So we just wrapped the panel discussion on international regulatory cooperation in blockchain and cryptocurrency. And half an hour was not enough. So we've invited the entire panel from OECD, from IOSCO, from Bank of Lithuania, from the CFTC. These are incredible giants in this space, all in one room and confined space. And we continue this conversation. Um, Starting with you, Marius, we talked about uh, this being a product, right? And we had just left off on jurisdiction shopping. And you made the great point that as regulators, you are really trying to regulate or create structures that your specific economy requires. And that is going to be very different than somebody else's economy and vice versa. Is that jurisdiction shopping or is that just fiduciary responsibility to your to your people, to your constituents? Yeah, so picking up where I, I just left, um, you know, Lithuania is not exactly the epicenter of the capital market. Uh, you know, the, the depth of the financial market is such that, you know, we are investigating, you know, market abuse cases where a transaction of 200 on the stock exchange is moving the market and, uh, you know, you know, ridiculous th- things. So then the ICO came into existence. You know, our Minister of Finance got, you know, psyched. See, that's exactly what we need. You know, it could uh, jumpstart our capital market and, you know, let's uh, provide legal certainty and things like that. We as supervisors, we are very cautious, you know, to be part of that kind of communication. But, um, you know, it really jumpstarted the activity. Some of that, you know, really made our eyebrows raised. Uh, but right now, what we are seeing is uh, the market really maturing enough, and uh, that is exactly the reason why Bank of Lithuania will be next, in next couple, two weeks, uh, decide, uh, it depends on our, uh, how fast our, our colleagues will manage to do that, we'll be issuing a very detailed, uh, you can say, a manual, almost a manual, how security token offerings should be done. And when I say security token offerings, you know, it exactly means it, it is a security, but being done in a distributed way. Uh, we came to that document after intensive consultation with the uh, market participants, uh, the likes of NASDAQ, uh, who, you know, see themselves uh, being threatened uh, by these innovations. How new way of raising capital or issuing financial instruments could be done using better technology. So that's what I meant. And that could be completely at odds with other jurisdictions, which see that more as a risk type of uh, phenomenon uh, as an opportunity, because they don't need uh, those particular type of innovations because the capital market is already saturated or, you know, the liquidity is there. But that's from um, the point that Caroline made from OECD, uh, Blockchain Policy Center. When it comes to jurisdiction shopping, there are, uh, as Maria said, there, you know, whether or not that is the focus of one nation versus another, and then providing the opportunity to the broader market to shop. So Marius is talking about STOs, and he's going to provide guidance. What's the guidance coming from OECD when it comes to STOs and your member states? So uh, obviously we have uh, two of the member states uh, here with us, Lithuania and and the US. Um, And at this stage, this is a conversation we're still happening. And and 
that's, I guess, one of the core functions of the OECD is that convening power to bring people together and share those different experiences. So Lithuania's uh, guidance that Marius has just mentioned will be coming out in the in the next couple of weeks. will provide an excellent case study for the OECD to work with and to share with our member countries to say, look, this is one approach. And once they develop experience with that approach, say this is what has worked. And as other jurisdictions do the same, over time you can begin to see what might be considered as whether it be guidance or moving into best practice in a particular area. But I think Marius also makes a very good point that you have a lot of these issues which are country-specific, which need to respond to the demands of the local community. Now, the result may be that you then have from a industry participant point of view opportunities to uh, arbitrage between different jurisdictions but that's something that we need to keep in mind and that's part of the conversation we have um, with with our member countries to make sure that that's that race to the bottom which would ultimately undermine the work that all of us are trying to do and the policy objectives we're trying to meet does not actually occur. Okay, so Mike Gill from CFTC, you just heard from Bank of Lithuania. They're coming out with policy guidance on STOs. What is the STO guidance from the United States at this moment? What is an STO? <laughs> okay, so now we know the answer from so, CFTC. <laughs> so, so a different way of saying uh, initial coin offering, initial public offering. Um, so there is no guidance coming. Um, I mean, the SEC has, um, you know, they've clarified, uh, uh, they've clarified um, things that I think the market's already recognized by the fact that, um, you know, they came out with their Section 20A report on the Dow. Um, they brought a few enforcement cases where ICOs were clearly um, public offerings to um, to non-accredited investors and such. Um, we put out a couple of primers on uh, virtual currencies, and we just put out our Ether RFI that we're taking in comments. I just got the, uh, the, the sort of comment file back on that to read on the plane. Uh, but I don't, I don't know that the U.S. is at a place where we're going to have guidance on initial coin offerings or security token offerings. I think right now the U.S. would say we have rules on how you are allowed to approach investors, and those rules apply whether it's a share offering, a token offering, or anything else. Okay, it's an incredible market. There's no doubt about it. The United States, right? More than 300, access to 300 million potential investors. But Bank of Lithuania, Lithuania might be a small country, also access to an incredible market called the EU. All right. So if we're going to get guidance from this side, playing devil's advocate, if we're going to get guidance from this side, is the United States kind of letting... Uh, a country like Lithuania be f the first mover advantage when it comes to defining the rules on STOs. So, or so I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to strongly uh, argue that point because I, I, I think you're correct, and this is greenfield, as Charles was mentioning before. That being said, U.S. investors will always invest under U.S. rules, exactly. and so if a jurisdiction doesn't have comparable rules to the United States, United States investors won't be in that market. So I think I think what's interesting with what's happening in this crypto space is that different European countries are taking the lead 
and and sort of thinking of innovative ways to draw capital to, to, to have a capital market of another form. There's deep liquidity in the United States in London for capital markets of the form we've known for the last 40, 50 years. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't think it's the United States place to say, don't do that, do it the old way. By the way, you don't have those markets. Um, I, I think we should watch this innovation. Um, and if it's successful, I think we'll get maybe with these types of products where we're at with where we're headed with swaps. You know, you know, for a while, we applied U.S. swap rules all over the world. We fragmented liquidity. We're now recognizing that and ratcheting that back. Um, so, so I think you know these markets evolve, um, but I, I you know I think I think we watch. We will we will certainly not um, criticize it, uh, but ultimately whether U.S. investors will be able to participate will will, will be you know, something that will take some time to decide. If I could just qualify your question and add a bit of uh, kind of expectation management to that, uh, you know, Lithuania is part of the European Union, so we are not individually creating or bending uh, legislation or, you know, nuancing it. But within the legislative framework, which is very clear and must apply across the board, across all the European member states, there are still very technical questions which sometimes are in the gray zone and no one actually knows the answer to. A very s just to give a very concrete example, you know, if we all agree that that particular type of an instrument is, is a security, let's say we agree, it is based on a DLT, meaning it is registered on a public ledger. Why do we still require, and we do require, according to the CSDR regulation, it to be registered at a depositorium? How, do we in, how does the public ledger interact with the central record-keeping uh, entity? These type of things, you know, re they require guidance. And it's not about, you know, do you need a prospectus? What type of information do you need to disclose to the customer? You know, how, how do you organize a trade facility? If it, you know, how, what is the organization of a secondary market? This is very clear. And actually, maybe we should stay away from giving guidance there. But that's what I meant, you know. Mm. No, that's good. Iosco, we don't want to forget about you over here, Giles. All right, because you're doing some very good work as well. What kind of guidance or thought can you provide our audience listeners about STOs? What your wh what is what is the thinking from your neck of the woods? Yeah, I mean, as I outlined, I mean, we we've been doing our sort of thinking in stages. I mean, you know, the initial stage was setting up uh, forms to exchange information um, on different approaches because, as Mike's just indicated, it is useful for different regulators to see what everyone else is doing because that's where they draw ideas, and if they say it's a good idea, that's how consistency arises. Um, we've also done quite a lot of work in terms of issuing uh, back uh, at the beginning of last year um, public guidance about uh, the potential investment to protection risks that these raise. Um, we hope we're now moving forward into the uh, what and how um, area of coordination. Um, we will next month be issuing um, a consultation report on crypto asset trading platforms and what the issues that different regulators should be considering if they're thinking about um, regulating those areas. Um, and so the, the, the intention there is that in most of these markets, I mean, the central functions are the issuance and the secondary market trading. And then out of that grows uh, the other functions, whether it's custodians, intermediaries or asset management. Um, and so we would then possibly be thinking about um, the how and what 
um, in those areas down the line. Um, I would emphasize that, you know, we are also cognizant that um, the market is maturing, but not necessarily mature. And that also applies to regulatory approaches as well. I mean, as you, say, as you said, I mean, some jurisdictions are able to move ahead with some very concrete proposals, such as Lithuania, Switzerland, and France have been mentioned. Um, we'd hope that people, we, you know, we, we can share experiences um, of those and we'd hope that, you know, as I say, if it's just details, that people draw on those in good faith uh, for consistency. Um, the second point I'd also make about, you know, this issue on the objectives, I mean, as you've indicated, there are, you know, the pie and apple pie idea is that everyone has incentive to have, you know, it's greenfield, everyone has incentive to sort of move towards a consistent approach. But as you've outlined, different regulators in within jurisdiction may have different objectives. And, you know, smaller jurisdictions tend to ha have more of a provider focus, whereas the large markets will be thinking about the consumers, and that's not going to change um, over the time. Um, but I think, you know, the, the way that possibly people need to think about it is that if it's a nascent industry, even if you're not a provider at the moment, you may be down the line. And that's where it makes sense to sort of maybe draw on the provider lessons that people do, uh, draw. And secondly, if you're a large consumer nation, I think it, it makes sense for people to look towards what the consumer nations are doing in terms of like, you know, if that's a gap in your regulation. Um, so I think, you know, what I'm sort of trying to say is that, you know, by sharing information about different experiences, people can think about it holistically, like, you know, how would I apply this if I'm just not both a, a small provider nation, but also a large producer nation? Um, and bring consistency that way. I want to get a sense from all of you. How does Asia factor in specifically? And I'm not just talking about China, Asia, Japan, Korea, Singapore, Hong Kong, Vietnam, Thailand. Um, how, how does Asia thinking from the regulatory end factor in for you? Let, let's talk economics here, you know. The, global saving imbalances are accumulating exactly in that type of that part of the world right due to the international trade you know the way the things have happened so far and that means that you know the savers or the people who have accumulated huge uh, buying power uh, relatively speaking towards the other side of the world you know they are looking for investment opportunities and they're looking for lucrative investment opportunities and uh, that exactly what is the driving force why the uh, crypto community has developed exactly in that type of a world first because they have been offering exactly what people wanted you know uh, gambling uh, type of activity lucrative investment opportunities promising the moon um, which uh, much more mature uh, markets uh, maybe have gone through 100 plus years ago. Um, so that's exactly how I think the Asian markets with the uh, huge accumulated wealth right now are featuring in, in this debate. And if uh, financial institutions which are regulated by respective uh, regulators here are being approached that by that type of investors, um, we don't have the mandate to protect those type of investors, maybe, I don't know. But uh, we have the mandate to protect the financial institutions from um, that type of investors creating uh, perverse incentives for our financial institutions to, to behave. Mm. That's interesting. Mike, what's 
thoughts? Well, just we've been we've worked with Japan specifically, uh, and they they had regulations on crypto cash exchanges. Um, I think for about a year and a half now. And we were very interested to know what what kind of due diligence they were doing on those cash exchanges for cyber controls and such, because that's that's where I think at least our agency is the most concerned is, um, you know, what what protections are there for the wallets and, um, you know, the larger and larger entities are having custody of wallets. And that seems to be a vulnerability. And so we've worked with Japan on that, Um, I think. Overall, I, I agree with Marius. I mean, there there is an imbalance, uh, and and that money is looking for you know other opportunities. Um, but I don't, you know, I I think when it comes to where this develops, and and if and if an STO type product develops, I think I think it's it's going to be you know in Europe or in the United States that that sort of capital raising. Uh, we've always been more comfortable with money going out of our countries and money coming in our countries. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of uh, culture you need for liquidity to develop these things. So um, we haven't done a lot on crypto with Asian jurisdictions besides Japan. Um, we've, you know, we've historically we've registered clearinghouses in mm-hmm. Korea, Singapore, Hong Kong, um, as well as Japan. We now have a, a clearinghouse that's on no action relief in Shanghai, um, but those are not cryptocurrency; those are specific swaps. Yes, I mean, I, I think as you both outlined, I mean, quite clearly in terms of the economics and the technology, um, in many respects, the center of gravity clearly lies in Asia. I mean, that's where the money is. And in many cases, a lot of the technology is, is more advanced there. Um, I think the, the different perspective that Asia has compared with the US and Europe is that it's a more fragmented market from a regulatory perspective in that it's got a, a wide variety of large, small medium-sized countries um, that are applying their particular approaches, whereas the dynamics are almost easier to read in Europe and the US. In the US, as Mike's outlined, the main issue is uh, different regulatory authorities with different objectives. What, how are they going to coordinate or are they going to coordinate? In Europe, the standard mechanism is that particular European jurisdictions take the lead and you know, if it works, it'll be sort of rolled out perhaps through European legislation across the board um, and therefore it's, it's easier to see the picture there whereas in, in Europe sorry in Asia it's yeah. obviously harder to sort of see how Japan China Hong Kong Singapore how all these moving parts are going to arrive at a consistent picture but certainly you'd have thought the economics and the thinking resides there which is why we draw very heavily on our Asian members and the work we're doing in this area I wish this conversation could continue, and it should, uh, and we will do this again. Thank you, all of you, from the top um, organizations in the world to provide this kind of uh, really candid uh, clarity is is um, just a breath of fresh air in this space. So thank you all. Thank you all. Before we get kicked out of here, uh, we <laughs> should wrap this up. Thank you. Thank you.